Welcome to the GSI Marketing Podcast with your hosts, Redbeard and Evan, where we give you the digital marketing insights you need to make people think you're the smartest person in the room. Redbeard. Stu, Stu Studio. <laughs> We're here. Yes. Yeah. You know, this studio, I'm getting used to it now, right? I mean, getting used to all the pieces on the wall. I mean, you guys should go to our YouTube channel and kind of know what we're talking about right here. But we've got so many different microphones. We've got to start having some guests. Yeah, we have so many microphones that we had to, like, take mics out of the shot. Yeah, that's right. Actually, if you're on YouTube, you don't even know all of these additional microphones because they're just pushing the corner out of the camera angles. We got this awesome logo table. Yeah. Sweet. G- the Geneva bulb. I like that. Nice. Yeah. Is that what it's called? Is that what we're calling it? The Geneva bulb? <laughs> the Geneva bulb. I don't the, know. If the, that... gear, the gear <laughs> the bulb. Gear. Yeah. That looks nice. You know, it's actually, you can see that on our podcast too, right? The idea bulb that's going on there with the cover. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a good look. So we just did a digital marketing presentation last week. How awesome was that? At, that, the, at the Biz Tank. That was amazing, right? So Biz Tank, you know, they've always got a lot of great speakers coming out for it. They've got the full production set up, lights, music, everything, right? I think that was like probably my first time doing a talk with a headset mic. Oh, was it really? Yeah. Yeah, you know, and they get a little poppy sometimes when you when you use those, but that seemed to turn out pretty good looking at the production quality just the other day. Yeah, I used my beard as like a filter. I don't know if oh, you know. Oh, does noticed. that work? Oh, <laughs> is that why you had your beard pushed up to your face when you were talking? I didn't know that was why. I thought maybe you were nervous and you just had your beard stretched over your face as like some sort of, you know, cloak of protection. <laughs> it's like a DIY pop filter. <laughs> We should, we should do a YouTube video all about your DIY pop filter. Just show them how it's set up. You can push it through. I like that. I think it's good. Does it does it muffle the sound too much, though? No, I mean, I feel like it sounded pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was good. And the topics were great, right? We went over eight uh, strategies that you could actually use or tactics, I should probably say, because you put them together for the strategy. You know, hit on some Facebook advertising. Twitter, did some lead generation with landing pages, all of that. What was so much fun, though, too, was the the, the questions that came afterwards. Yeah, that was an engaged group over there. I love that, too, because a lot of times you give a presentation, you know, you're not sure how it's resonating. I mean, usually you know when it's going pretty well, right? And you've got people kind of nodding their head and you focus it on everybody. But at the end, you know, when you ask those questions or ask if there are questions, you always wonder, okay, what's coming? Was there something that wasn't clear? in my presentation? Was there, you know, other things that people were expecting that I didn't go over, right? So it's always fun to get that feedback right away. Did yeah, you see me, like, light up when uh, that, that one dude asked, like, what uh, what kind of camera equipment and setup do you use for your phone? Oh, the whole atmosphere changed when that happened. It was, <laughs> boom, you know, all of a sudden you were jovial again, running around, <laughs> showing him what you had. I'm like, how much time do you have, sir? <laughs> <laughs> If everybody else wanted to go to another topic presentation, uh, now's the time because we are going to use the rest of the time. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. That was a fun day. And a lot of people like hung out afterwards and talked to us. And then we had the whole event, the outdoor event. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. With that bags tournament. Yeah, that got pretty serious. You know, there was some, uh, there, there was some definite, you know, competitors out there. Yeah, it got real. Because I get a little competitive, you know, when it comes to just 
anything, you know, life in general for it, but I'm not like a great bags player. So playing with other people, kind of watching them get it, trying to get involved with it, but they had, you know, hooks to their spin and everything else. Like it was a, uh, it, was, it was pretty I serious. I feel like you were holding it down pretty well though. Yeah. You know, I, I come in waves, you know, it was outside though. There was, it was wind, you know, you had to play for the elements. I'm not used to that. <laughs> yeah, you really you know? did. <laughs> yeah. That was tough. Like all of a sudden there's a big gust of wind would come and you don't know what's happening with that bag. Oh man. It was like playing like playing street ball. But, you know, one thing, too, about that that presentation, right, that topic that we were going over that we touched on a little bit, there was, you know, nurturing leads when they come in. Like, that was one of the strategies that we came up with uh, to go over. And, you know, I think that's that's a good topic that, you know, you hear a lot about, like, email marketing and marketing automation and, you know, what's the difference? How do you get the use out of it? You know, I think that's something we should go over. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. Why don't you go over it now? Like, uh, well, yeah, email marketing is great. And, like, I feel like, maybe you feel like this too, like, not a lot of people, like, really take advantage of that or even want to build a list. Or maybe, like, they they already, like, they're capturing email addresses, but maybe they don't realize it and they're not doing anything with them. Right. They don't have a real strategy. It's just kind of a, when I think about it, I'll send it an email, especially if they're not creating a lot of content, right? People that create a lot of content, like newsletters, blog posts, ebooks, you know, podcasts, whatever they're creating, you know, they're usually a little bit better about their email lists because, you know, they've got something to send people. But what always gets forgotten is the ones that aren't creating a lot of content, right? But, you know, you need to actually still send out emails because, you know, that's a great way to get in front of people, stay top of mind. But all your other aspects, right, you own your email list. Like people don't realize like all of these different things, right? You build up your social media following, right? You've got a lot of, you know, Facebook followers, Twitter followers, LinkedIn, you know, whatever the social media platform is, you don't own any of them, right? Like you have access to them because of the platform. And we're seeing that, you know, like, look at what Facebook did. Was it 2% now are going to see your organic post if you just share it? Even less sometimes. So only, even though if you have 5,000 followers, you know, less than 2% are going to see anything that you post because you don't own that audience, right? They just are on Facebook's platform. They own that audience. With email though, you own it, right? Once you have that list, once it's, you know, opted in, you can email them until you they tell you to stop, at least, you know, in the U.S. We'll, we'll focus this on U.S. advice here because we won't get into the now, GDPR and everything. On the opt-in, right? So you yeah. got that opt-in form, okay, like on your website. Um, how much information are you trying to collect? Or is there is there too much you'd ask for where people then don't fill it out? Oh, yeah. I see that all the time, right? That's called just really being greedy with your form, right? Because you want to qualify the lead or get as much information as you can. And, you know, of course, right? Because that makes your job as a marketer easier, or salesperson easier, just business in general. The more you know about somebody, the better you can tailor everything, all your messaging to them. But it's being greedy when you're asking for a lot of information. And a lot of what you're going to, or how long it should be is going to depend on what type of form it is, right? Where it's located. Is it a contact us? Just a general contact us. You should keep that between three and five fields, right? You don't want a lot of information on that, right? Because you don't know why somebody's contacting you. You don't know where they're at in the stage, but you still want them to reach out. So like name, email, name, email, phone, phone number, maybe like a message. Company is right. another good one, right? Whatever you need is like the bare minimum to 
reach back out to somebody because you can always do, you know, a little bit of research on your own with the company, right? Who are they? What is that information? You can fill that into your database for it. But also after you, you actually make that contact, right? Then you can start to get more information. That's why I really like, you know, progressive profiling when it comes to form fills. So if you fill out a form, right, there's no reason for me to keep asking you the same information again if I'm going to send you an email for downloading like an ebook, for example, right? So instead of just asking you to same out those or fill out those same three to five fields, what we can do is actually get it set up where you've already filled it out. We're able to identify that. Let's send, serve you a different form that's going to ask for different information so I can start to build that complete profile without overwhelming you with a huge list of you know, 10, 15, 20 form fields that you're just not going to fill out and I won't get anything from you. And how important is that the, the call to action, but also that that page where that call to action is happening isn't, isn't cluttered or that busy? Oh, that's huge. Right. And there's test after test that's going to show that, um, you know, you can read a lot of best practices for what you should have on that page, what your call to action button, you know, should say for it. But you really need to test that. Right. That's the only way you're going to see significant improvements right from optimizing that is going to be from testing it. So like, if you read a blog post, for example, that says the color blue right, is the best button color for you to have on your landing page because that's going to convert higher. But the reality is that's not the case, right? If your entire page is blue and you put that blue button on there, you're not going to have a difference. In fact, you might have a, a negative impact because the idea for that button color, right, you just like break off the psychology for it, it's that Von Restorf effect, right? So what that means is like isolation, right? So if you have something that is a contrasting color there, what that'll do is actually provide the visitor the information, right, with a visual cue that this is where you should click, this is what you're supposed to do, because the brain is going to recognize patterns, right? And it's going to be able to see that everything else fits together except for this button. This button is a contrasting color. It stands out from the page. So then the visitor is going to know that that's what they're supposed to do. And you can have a big impact on your conversion rates, right? Which is the amount of people that are actually filling out the form as, as, as funny as that sounds, right? Just and I've, and I've heard you mention the color of the button before and A-B testing uh, those scenarios, but also even um, a little bit about like, uh, like the photo or something on the form, like looking at the form or pointing to it. Yeah, that's the other thing, right? Is that if you look at what somebody's going to look at, they always look at faces, right? from a baby you you look at faces like that's what you recognize that's what you're looking for you can make faces out of you know actual abstract things if it kind of looks like a face your brain is going to try to do that so what you can do is actually play off of that in psychology right as part of your landing page optimization have a face on there right have that face looking at something because when you look at someone's face and they're looking at it you want to know what they're looking at so have that looking at your form that you want them to fill out. It's going to guide the user over to it. You usually will see a, a higher increase in conversions by, by doing that. But to kind of go back to what you're saying with the A-B testing, that's something you have to do. You have to actually figure out if that's going to make a difference for you, your audience that's going to it, right, your visitors that are coming to that page. 
So you do that by you know, having your baseline, your original, no change to it, and then you create a second version where you only change one element. That's where a lot of people, they end up not getting good data from their A-B test, right, or their testing because they, they try to change too many. It becomes more of a multivariate test at that point where you don't actually know what element, what change is driving the result, whether they're good or bad. So if you change it and only focus in on one element, then you can make sure that you know what that impact was going to have on that testing. And you could do so much more, right? If we talk about the images and the button color, that's that that's pretty basic stuff. That That's easy to test, right? You're not going to want to keep changing the button color over and over. But once you start running those tests, you can start to get into more more advanced, right? What's, that, what's the entire layout look like? Is it a longer page or a shorter page? What's the messaging? That's one thing that I think more people need to focus on for their tests is what does it say? What's that message? What's that headline say? You can learn so much about your audience and how your marketing messaging is actually resonating with them by running those tests. And like, is it quick and easy to fill out on a phone? Yeah, that's the other one too. You have to optimize for different devices, try to understand that. I mean, a lot of these tools, right, that you can run with these tests now, uh, they actually do have the ability to have have different tests based on what device somebody's coming in from, what channel they came in from, all of that. Nice. Yeah, it's pretty nice. So what are some of the the more, let's say, popular platforms or easy-to-use or easy-to-integrate platforms for um, not only, like, creating, um, like, e- these email, you know, email campaigns or collecting the emails in the database? You know, a lot of people are running into, like, marketing automation software. And I love marketing automation software. I think there's a lot of great ones out out there. Um, I mean, we, we've we've ran quite a few, you know, in our past and currently for it based on what the client has. But one fatal flaw that I always see people get into when they're looking at marketing automation is they get that, that shiny object syndrome, right? Or they just get too focused in on the features and what this one platform can do versus this other platform. And they don't take a step back and actually think, okay, but how am I going to use this software? Because if you just get, this is especially true for marketing automation because they just seem to keep wanting to pile on all these features to become that all-in-one solution for somebody. But the reality is most people aren't going to use all of those features. So you just got to take a step back. What are you currently going to use, right? What are your goals with the platform? And then just try to figure out the one that you like that has a good interface. But yeah, it's always going to come down to strategy for, for how successful that's going to be. Like, I feel confident that I could dive into any marketing automation platform at this stage and understand it, understand where it is. Some are going to be more difficult, especially when you get into like enterprise level ones, but it doesn't matter what the software is. It matters more of the strategy. I know that, you know, usually we can come up with a, you know, a pretty top notch strategy. So the software is going to make less of a difference. Oh, for sure. Now what, um, now when you're actually, so we have the splash page, the sign up pages, right? Yeah. Where people sign up, but now, you know, when it's time to actually send those emails, out right um what are like like everyone seems to be hung up on um when they actually send an email out hung up on open rates yeah like what's a really good like even like i've seen even though you might have like a 24 percent open rate like that's really good right well it depends on the industry and the type of email so mailchimp actually publishes a lot of good information in terms of industry benchmarks that you can use and i think those are good starting points because you want to know how emails are generally performing in your industry but you also have to break it down into your list, right? I like to look more at the overall history of that list versus the industry in general. So that way I can focus in on, you know, where are the open rates right now or where were they a year ago and are they improving and how to get them improved by, you know, implementing the same 
type of things that we were talking about with the landing pages, we can do that with emails, right? So we can run those A-B tests. Understand, is it emojis that are going to have a higher open rate for that list that I'm sending it to? Is it when I phrase the email subject line as a question? Or when I send it from redbeard at genevasupply.com or andy at genevasupply.com? <laughs> you know, where do I get the higher open rates? And just understanding how your list is going to respond to those and then just making sure that you're making those changes going forward, keep implementing them, keep testing other things. You know, always want to learn something from your A-B tests. A lot of people do respond to the beard. They do. Yeah. No, and then that's that's a real thing. That, that's why you have the email. Very responsive. <laughs> and also, like, not just the subject line. You know, is it your HTML email or a plain text email? You know, just understanding, you know, the type of differences because a lot of times I see marketers want to create really fancy design, heavy, you know, beautiful emails. And that's because a lot of surveys, when you ask your audience what they want that's what they say right they say they want a beautifully designed email that looks great you know has all these great pictures but just because they say that that's what they want that doesn't mean that's always the best type of email to send because Every time I run a plain text email campaign versus an HTML email, the plain text always outperforms. And it plays off that reciprocity effect, right? So it's it looks like Redbeard actually sat down, typed up that email and sent it to you. It's not a it's not a marketing email. It didn't come from marketing at and it doesn't have all the images, right? It actually looks like you sat down, typed up the email and sent it. Yeah. And when somebody receives that, they, they feel like, well, he spent the time. I should respond to that. And a lot of times, like, I know me personally, like, I just want that quick link yeah. um, to check something out. Or sometimes when you get those, like, overdeveloped emails, right, like, the maybe it's, like, a newsletter or an ad with, like, buttons and stuff. Like, sometimes you don't know where to click. Right. And that's, that's the other thing, too, is, you know, making sure that it's clear. I think that's going to be the case for emails, for landing pages, for anything, websites in general. You want to make sure that the action you want somebody to take is clear that they don't have to worry about it or figure it out because if you expect them to figure it out they're usually gonna get it wrong now i know like mostly probably most places would just send out like a um, like a monthly newsletter yeah. and just kind of send it once and leave it at that um or they might have uh, an event or um you know a special day right that they're gonna send out like maybe like a prime day email right. or something but uh touch a little bit on um drip campaigns Oh, see, that's one of the beautiful things about marketing automation software. And a lot of email service providers are starting to offer this, like MailChimp has their own now. Uh, but it's building out these workflows where you don't have to go in and just, like you said, I only go in, I send an email once a month or I send it, you know, for specific events. Like you can actually create these campaigns that are going to be tailored to where that person entered in that program. So we were talking about landing pages before. One of the most popular reasons to use a landing page is to have a content upgrade, right? A gated piece of content that in order to download this ebook or white paper, you need to fill out the form. So what happens once somebody fills out the form, right? They're not requesting a quote. They don't actually want you to contact them in most cases, right? They only want that ebook at the time. So the idea is, you know, you're trading that piece of content, that information for their contact information. 
but you don't want that just to sit and you don't want to go too hard on it, right? I mean, you should always try the sales approach a little bit, but if you just have salespeople calling all the time and a lot of them aren't going to convert, then your salespeople are going to say, you know, these leads aren't good. They only want the information, you know, stop sending me these leads. So if you build out like automated workflow, for example, you could do lead nurturing, right? Where you can actually nurture those leads. You take them from, you know, what a lot of people call is a marketing qualified lead, somebody that's not ready to buy, shown a little bit of interest and just kind of push them along. And it's going to take a lot of different turns. So the good marketing automation platforms or the good platforms in general that can create those workflows are going to let you have different branches based on how they're responding. So if they open the email, right, we're going to send them a, a secondary email, right, another another piece of content about it that they might find interesting based on what they downloaded before. If they didn't open the email, we can send them something different than that. Like one of my favorite things to do is if they don't open the email, I just send them the same email again, and I only change the subject line as part of that workflow because it's all new to them, right? They didn't open it. They didn't see it. They don't know what I actually sent them. So why go through having to create a whole nother piece of content, whole nother email? I'll just change the subject line up and see if I can get them to open it that time. Help helps stretch that content quite a bit. What's nice is it's like you're creating, almost creating like, site navigation but for your email list right and and what's nice about that is that you know even though it's automated it's still relevant it still you know has that personal touch to it because it's based on how they're interacting with you and also with like a marketing automation platform for example right that's going to be tracking your website too so it's not just oh they clicked on it and went to the website and then you know look over to Google Analytics and figure out what happened after that. Marketing automation platforms are going to track the website too. So once they clicked on the email, if they went over to the website, let's follow all the different pages we have them identified, see what they're doing. Well, based on the pages that they visited, based on everything else, we can have them a different email set. Like if they go to a pricing page, for example, but didn't end up filling out any more information, well, let's send them another email and try to figure out what's going on, try to start that dialogue again. That's what I like about these uh, email uh, platforms, too, because you can uh, you know, get all that data and see, like, what are people actually clicking on? Right. Um, you know, am I putting too much information in the emails or, you know, do I need to scale those down to just one campaign? Right. Right. And you can kind of see like, like, oh, did they click on this? What did they do then when they got to my website? Mm -hmm. Things like that. Yeah, it helps you make more data-based decisions with your marketing. And that's what I love about it is because you can read best practice blog posts. You can listen to podcasts, listen to us, you know, all you want about this great tips. But you have to test it. You have to actually implement it. You got to be a practitioner when it comes to marketing because – everything's going to be a little bit different. Just because it worked for one person one time and they wrote a blog post about it doesn't mean it's going to work for you every time. And that's why like when a lot of people get in and they start thinking about conversion rate optimization, they always go to button color first, right? That's always like the day one conversion rate optimization. Go through, change the button color because it can make a difference, you know? But it doesn't make as big of a difference as a lot of other tests can be. Like I like, I like it when I see tests that are actually like changing the entire like internal uh, theme of the website, right? And seeing how different layouts are going to have an impact on it because that's that usually leads to a different, you know, a lot bigger return. What I like about that that drip scenario <clears throat> is that a lot of people are um afraid to send out multiple emails because they don't want to be too annoying yeah. and then all of a sudden have a bunch of people unsubscribe. Yeah. Right? Well, and that's a good point, right? Is that if you do bother people, you send them 
information that isn't relevant to where they're at, at least in the in your funnel, right? The top funnel, middle funnel. Where are they in terms of their evaluation of you know your cert your service or your product? But that way you can make sure when you're sending out those emails, it's still based on it, and you can still put those delays and how long they're going to send. But you don't have to go in and manually do it. They're just enter, and then they run. And you can just kind of look at the information and the data from there. Nice. And that helps too, like you, because you can like start cleaning up your list too. Like if they don't open and they don't right. open the second one, oh, maybe they gave you that burner email address. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's a big thing too. Like you need to, you know, consider like, are people not engaging with you? And if they're not engaging with you, just send them an email and say, hey, you know, it's, I'm gonna take you off the list unless you want to resubscribe, unless you want to engage for it. Because if you have a lot of people on your email list that never open it, never engage, that's going to end up hurting your deliverability, especially when you start to gain or make have a bigger list, you know, start to gain a lot of traction with it. So you need to get rid of the people that are just dead weight. They're not interested. They're never looking at it because that's going to hurt your overall sense for people that actually do want to see your content. Yeah. I actually got one of those emails Did recently you? where they just said, hey, we noticed you've been on our mailing list for about six months. We've been sending you stuff. You haven't really opened opened it we're just gonna take you off that list and here's a link if you actually want to keep continue to receive these yeah and that's a lot of people think that that doesn't make any sense because you know i spent so much time trying to get somebody on this list the numbers look good yeah they're not opening it but i, I want to yeah, maybe they will someday but that does hurt your deliverability rates if you have a lot of people that aren't opening it so you've got to pay attention to it make sure that you're only focusing on you know the people that are actually engaged and subscribing and want to see your content too because then that helps get a little bit better data to make uh, better decisions because you know you don't want to factor in the people that just aren't interested anymore. Maybe they bought it from a competitor, right? Maybe they're focusing on a different solution. Maybe they're not even at the company anymore. Their email is just getting forwarded to somebody else. You don't want their non-open rates to impact when you're taking a look and trying to optimize for open rates. Somebody that no matter how good of a subject line is, is never going to open it. Yeah. And I feel like that one, um, you know, it wasn't even that, uh, I had never seen one of those before, but when I got that email, I thought it was super awesome. That was like the first time that's ever happened. Did you recently subscribe? I didn't resubscribe, but I pay to use their service. Oh, do you? So, and that, which I really like, but um, you know, they, they send emails out and it's not that like I just hadn't gotten to, you know, hmm. you see them pop up, but then you know things happen, you move on, you don't open it. Was that uh was that was like a newsletter that they were sending you? Um, they just send out like tips and information and stuff. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. cuz I mean, a lot of times when you're a customer, you think that that would be a little bit different than just your average newsletter subscriber. Yeah, I haven't seen those with customers before. So yeah, it was it was pretty cool. Cool. Well, I think that's uh, that probably wraps it up on my end. You got anything you want to add? I think we're good. Awesome. Hey, one thing is that I know a lot of people listening to podcasts are usually driving, right, or maybe out for a, a morning run. Right? You're not able to actually write down all of the great tips that we're giving. So instead of just hoping to come back and listen to it again, you can go online and we'll send you these tips every single time we come up with an episode. You just go to genevasupply.com slash GS online podcast, right? GS, no, GS on marketing podcast. That's what it is. So genevasupply.com slash GS on marketing podcast and you'll be able to download the tips there yeah and uh, we'll put um, you know links we'll have the show notes and stuff right. so if we mention you know at cool apps or links to things we'll put it right in there and uh, if you subscribe and like 
and give us a rating. That'll help us keep doing this, you know? Give us some motivation to, to keep coming up with this great content. Awesome. Till right. ne- next time. Thank you for listening to the GSON Marketing Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at GSON Marketing. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes and wherever podcasts are sold.